Good morning. Grab a seat. How are we doing? Yeah. My name's Ernie. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. We are ordinary people transformed by the mercy of God, and we are so excited that you are here with us this morning. We have just started a new series called The Remedy for Worry, okay? It's a two-week series, and if this is your first time to Mercy Hill Church, this is not something we typically do. From time to time, we'll do a topical sermon based in Scripture, but typically what we do is we read through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, going through it. But we pulled aside for two weeks to talk about something we think is topical and add to your life that the Scripture speaks quite a lot about and would be very helpful. But before we talk about worry, I feel like I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer as we walk in this, because it is very easy to misunderstand. Uh, we're not, this is a disclaimer, uh, we're not talking about mental illness. We're not talking about severe anxiety or clinical depression, because I understand that many of us in this room, there are chemicals in your body that cause you to struggle with mental health. And there's some of you, uh, there's things that have happened in your life that have such a profound effect on you that those effects are still felt today. And I need to say this for a couple of reasons, because as we look at worry, we need to correctly define what it is. If you don't hear me say this very clearly, that there are a category of things we're not talking about this morning, because we've already talked about them. In a, in a, seri- in a sermon that we did called about trauma, we brought in a counselor, he spoke on it for about 40 minutes, and then we even took in questions that we had another hour-long podcast that we did afterwards. And you can find that on our website or on any of that information. Um, and I, I need to tell you that, too, because as we talk about worry, if you mix up worry and you mix up trauma and you start hearing me talk to worry as in your, and you hear it through the filter of he's talking to trauma, it can be very hurtful to you. And I don't want it to be hurtful or wounding to you. And if you're one of those people that are dealing with trauma or dealing with mental health or the chemicals in your body doesn't work right, there's a couple of things I want to say to you this morning before we get into our text. And first is this, is that we love you and it's not your fault. Your physical situation is not a result of anything you did. Your history of what happened to you is not your fault. In fact, if at any time this morning, guys, you need a moment to process, there is staff around the room. If you walk out, they'll probably try to chase you down and pray with you and talk to you. Now, if you go to the bathroom, they won't follow you in there. I promise that. But I also need you to know the second thing, that God knows your situation. And he does not desire for you to live in the pain that you're living in. His word says that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he, is, he comforts those in despair, and his desire for you is that one day you would be healed from that, whether through medicine, counseling, through a miracle, or one day just being in the presence of God, that depression and the trauma you've experienced that affect you so deeply would not be a part of your life forever. See, when we talk about worry this morning, we need to, we're not talking about clinical depression We're not talking about what happens chemically in somebody's body, but what we're talking about is over-concern. That we concern ourselves at a tremendous amount too much for what we're concerned about. See, worry is something that is within our control that we can begin to be free of today. God wants you to be free from that worry, but but the issue is this, that many of us, if not all of us, are worry monsters. Like, we are professional worriers. Some of us can win gold at worrying in this room if it was an Olympic event. And and we see it all the time because something will happen in our life 
And then we'll create a narrative, and we'll lose sleep, and we'll lose peace, and we'll go, oh my gosh, and this, and this, and this, and this is going to happen. In fact, I was so curious about this topic that I see amongst so many of my peers and amongst so many of my friends that I kind of Googled it. I was like, what are the things that people worry about? And there are so many lists of things. And I picked one of the smaller lists, the list of 20. And here's some of these things. These are the things that people worry. Rank from we worry about this the most is most prevalent to least. Just 20, okay? You ready? Getting old was number one. That was the number one thing people worry about. Money, uh, my energy levels, my diet, debt, my job, having wrinkles. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Never thought about that one. I worry about my physique. I should worry more. Rent. <laughs> Uh, I seem to be generally unhappy, worrying that you seem to be generally unhappy, uh, finding a new job. Am I attractive? Does my partner like me? Am I with the right partner? It's funny, those are back to back. Family drama, just things that you worry about in dealing with your family. Am I, am I a good parent? Meeting work goals. If my dress sense is good, I promise you I've never worried about that once in my life. And those of you know, it's completely true pet health, and worrying about the area I live in, is it a good area? That was number 20. We worry a lot, and we worry about a lot of things. Some of us even worry that we're not worried enough about things. In fact, my wife, she is a natural warrior. She's giving me permission to share this. I asked her, Laura, like, I go, what do you worry about with me the most? And she goes, what you say to people when I'm not around? <laughs> and she doesn't mean that, like, I'm speaking badly about her. She says, I'm like, what, what do you mean? She's like, no, no, I worry that you're going to say things that hurt people's feelings. You're not going to notice it, and they're going to think about you in a bad way. I'm like, hi, how do you even think about that? I don't even have the, she's like, yeah, oh, yeah, worry all the time. Whenever you're not around me, I worry about what you're going to be saying to people. It, some people would say that's a valid thing for her to worry about, all right? Here's the thing. As I read through that list of 20, wasn't there this, like, level of weight and heaviness as you start to think through some of those things in your life. And the sad thing is, as you look through that list, there's not one thing you can take off that list. You can't just say, well, I'm going I'm to attack worry in my life by not doing it anymore. What, you're not going to have family anymore? You're not going go to get a job? You're not going to deal with money anymore? You have to have money. You have to deal with a job. You're, you're just going to stop talking to your spouse? It has to be there. And you're like, Ernie, that's the problem. Because it's there, I worry. And let me, I want to tell you this. God has a plan and a desire for you to actually have those things but have them free of worry. See, this is the thing that Christians in the room need to realize. That when Jesus saved you, he didn't just save you from the consequences of your sin after you die. But he's saving you from the enslavement of those things that enslave you today. And one of those things is worry. See, I believe as we look at this passage where Jesus speaks, and he's going to tell us, hey, there are four things that we need to see, and there is one thing that we need to do. As we look at that, if we think through it, and we entrust God and believe God's word, I think we could actually live a life that has less worry, that we could be the freest people in the world if we would just trust God's word if we would just trust what he has to say, wouldn't that be amazing, moms and dads, that you could parent with less worry in your life? 
men and women, that you can go to your job with less worry in your life, that you could leave it at work and come home. Students, that you could take a test without having the three-hour freakout that you do every night before the test. That could be yours. You could have that. Let's see how that could happen together, but first let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this, that you've spoken to this topic, and you've spoken so directly and so clearly. I ask as we look at the Word of God this morning that we would remove all the yeah buts that's different in my life. That we would believe that you know us better than we know ourselves. That you see our past, present, and future. And you have created us. In fact, the Word of God says you have knitted us together in secret places. That you knew us before we were even in our mother's womb. And God, the words that you're speaking, let them reign true in our life louder than the lies that we have been just completely imprisoned to for most of our life. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. Excuse me, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the chair or your neighbor's chair. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, pull it up on your phone. You can just, we're reading out of the ESV version if you're looking at it on your phone. And it is Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And it goes like this. And he said, and he said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about anything about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the raven. They neither sow nor reap. They, have either, they neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And with which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If they... If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about your life? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grasses, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do, you, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Okay, so Jesus starts out his talk by giving a command. And the command is, hey, don't worry. He says, therefore, I tell you. God of the universe looks at you and says, hey, don't worry. Have you ever been in a bad situation and the first person says to you, like, hey, don't worry? Does that ever help? No, usually it doesn't. You're like, why are you, you're just taking up space and time and saying this. Like, like right now, we haven't had a car for like, we've had one car for the last three weeks, all right? My wife works two part-time jobs. I work a job. Like, man, we have kids. They go all over the place. They have hobbies. It is really stressful being a family of five with one car right now. And many of you have blessed us by, by letting us borrow cars. It's been amazing. But not having one car. Well, having one car really sucked. But uh, the rest of it's been amazing, the blessing of the people around me. But, but. Uh, I'm rambling now. All right. But when we've been, at, our car's been bouncing from shop to shop for a very long time. It was somebody looks at me and says, oh, don't worry about it. It'll get taken care of. And I'm like, will it? 
Really? Because it doesn't feel that way right now in this moment. And the reason why that really stinks is because they're offering no solutions. They're offering no answers. They're just offering a platitude. That is not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus starts out with the command, and he's going to tell us four reasons why we shouldn't worry, and he's going to tell us what we should do in place of worrying. And the first thing he says this, he says, hey, don't worry because God values you more than anything he has created. Let me say again. He says, don't worry because God values you more than anything he has created. Do you believe that? For many of us, that's maybe the only thing you need to hear this morning is that God values you more than anything he has created. And he gives two examples. The first one, he says, hey, listen, and just kind of say it in your own voice. Like, he said, like, hey, Ernie, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And he picks a particular kind of bird, a raven, because at that time, those people thought the raven was the lowest of all birds. In fact, the lowest of all animals. They're just like, this is the worst bird. of all. Like the way we think about pigeons, it'd be like, this is the worst bird. They're like, this is the worst bird. And guess what God's saying right here? He's saying the lowest animal. God's saying, I know. He knows. He feeds them. He provides for them. And he's like, hey, that thing that you think little of, how much more valuable are you than that? And don't you think if I take care of that thing, I'm going to take care of you? The second illustration is likewise. He says, hey, look, look at the weeds, the flowers. These things that are gone, they're here one day and gone the next. Don't I value you more than that? See, God cares and has placed special value on humanity. We can see that in creation. That in Genesis 1, when he created man, he said he created them in his own image. And he created them to be in special relationship with him. He did not say that about anything else he created. Guys, the story of Jesus is not him trying to redeem cows and horses, but humanity. He created the garden, the world, so that man would live in it. You're not one of the many things that God's love. You are the thing that God loves the most on this planet. He has created you to be in relationship with him, and he cares. And you don't have to go very far into the picture of the story of Jesus to know that he cares a lot about humanity. In fact, the ending of his story in the, in the Gospels is the greatest picture of that. In John 15, 13, Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, that, he would, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Christ did. That he loved and valued humanity so much that he was not okay with being separate from his humans that he's created. Because our sin has separated us from God. And we know there's a separation there. We feel it. Because when we do something wrong, we have an inner conviction that's telling us, hey, I'm missing a standard. And we can see that our world is broken because what sin has done has broken us and has broken the world around us. We see that in Genesis. We see that in Scripture. We see that in our own lives. And God was not okay with that picture. So much so that he showed up, lived the life that we were meant to live, meaning that he never sinned. He obeyed the Father perfectly. 
and then he died on the cross where all of the sins of the world that you and I have and will ever do was placed on him, and God punished sin in the perfect person of Jesus. And now what Scripture tells us is that those who believe in Christ, those who trust that he died for my sins, I don't have to be judged for him because God has already judged sin in Jesus. Now I can have everlasting life as a son and daughter of the king because of what Jesus has done, not what I've done. See, here's the most amazing thing about the, God, the, the value and love that God gives us is it's unconditional. God does not love you or value you because of how awesome you are. Because to be honest, we're not very awesome. I do a, very, a lot of unawesome things on a regular basis. I do a lot of things that are so shameful. And, every, and I think that I'm not very different than any of you. That there are things that you know that you've done that you don't want others to know because if they knew, then they probably wouldn't be your friend anymore. Here's the crazy thing about God. He knows what you did. And he chooses to love you anyways. He chooses to ascribe value to you as a son or daughter, regardless of what you've done. It is unmerited grace. It is mercy. It is the goodness of God. That he says, hey, I care about you. I love you. I love you more than the ravens. I love you more than the flowers. I love you more than all the things that I've created. I've ascribed value to you that has nothing to do with what you bring to the table just because I desire to bring mercy and grace to you. Because I desire to love you. Guys, the security that Christians have is found in is that when you become a Christian, it says that you become a son and daughter of the king, that you get to call him Abba, Father. And now you're in the presence of your perfect parent. Some of you didn't have good parents, so you don't know how it feels, but some of you did. And do you realize that the love and safety you felt, the lack of worry that you could have, came because you were in the presence of someone that really loved you? Like, let me give you an example. My daughter Ella, okay, she's six. Two years ago, we went to Colorado to visit some friends who were hiking along this trail in the mountains, okay? And Ella is, she's not going to be on, like, any Olympic teams. Let me just say it that way, okay? All right, she kind of has the coordination of a newborn baby giraffe sometimes. It's getting better. But we're walking along this mountain, and there's, like, cliff face. And my heart is racing because I don't really love heights, and I don't love my kids being around heights. But I'm holding her hand, and she's just, like, dancing and twirling. Like, she's got, like, no fear. She's like, isn't this great? She's, like, skipping. I'm like, watch that rock. I'm, like, literally moving. Like, she has no fear in this moment, complete feeling of safety. You know why? Because she's with her dad and mom. And she trusts them to such a level that wherever we put her, we have her best interest and safety in mind. Do you understand that that's how the God, your God, your Father, looks at you? That God takes care of what he loves and cares about. So when our hearts and minds fill with worry, we need to stand in the truth that says, God, the God of the universe who cares and knows about me, you know my present, you know my past, you know my future, you know what's going on, I can just lay it at your feet. I can choose to believe and trust 
and your goodness over this circumstance. He gives us a second reason, too. He says, hey, worrying doesn't help. Look at verse 25. You're like, worrying, duh, okay. Worrying doesn't help. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus says, when you worry, it doesn't change a single thing except make your life more difficult and full of stress. And we know this to be true, right? Students, we know this. Got a test tomorrow, all right, 7 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, you're so worried and have so much anxiety you can't study, so you decide, if I rearrange my room, if I set things together, if I, if I create the perfect study space, all right, it's going to take me about four hours to get there, so I'll be studying by midnight, and now you're tired. Why? Because your anxiety and worry just ran you to a place where it removed what you're actually supposed to do. Moms, dads, y'all know this. How many times you spent, you've been up late at night worrying about your kids who are already asleep? They're already asleep, and you're worried about them, and it's keeping you up all night. And what worry is driving you to do is to lose sleep, to be more exhausted the next day, and be more and less present as a parent because you've got less sleep, and now you have a shorter like fuse because now it's like, I slept three hours last night because I was up worried about you, and now you're driving me nuts. Some of us are so enslaved to worry, you're offended by God's words here. You think, how dare he tell me that not to worry about this? Doesn't he know how big of a deal this is? Yeah, he knows. But he also knows this, that worry is not your friend, it's your enemy. He knows that worry is a tool of the enemy to bring about your disaster in your life and to draw you away from him. And to draw you away from the joy and the life you're meant to live in. See, guys, some of you need to come to the fact with this, that worry is not your friend. It's not a comfort. And many of the time, if we're being honest, we worry about things that are never going to happen are completely out of your control. How many times have you worried about something that's completely out of your control? Like, oh, does that person like me? You can't control that. But you'll spend hours like, is he going to text me back? Is he going to text me? Like, you'll just spend time. How much time are you worried about things that are never going to happen? All of a sudden, there's something you have a plan in your life, and something goes awry, and you're like, oh, no, now we're not going to have food. We're not going to have plates. And then the people are going to show up late. It's going to be desert. You have this entire narrative you start building up, which makes you a completely unpleasant person to be around, which I become that person regularly. All right, I'm not picking on any of you and any of you. I'm more, more myself. This is self-observed, all right? And you pick, and like, all of a sudden, you have all these worries, and then nothing, none of those even come to fruition. And you've just wasted a night worrying. And all it's done is stole your joy in the present and your peace. Worry is of no use to you. That's why Jesus is saying, hey, leave this behind. This does not need to be a part of your life. The third reason he says we should not worry is because God knows and is capable. In both of those illustrations, Jesus says, he knows the comings and goings, the beginnings and ends, he even of the least significant of his creation. In verse 30, Jesus says, don't worry about the stuff. God knows what you need. See, sometimes in the pit of our worry, we can go, God, do you even know? God, can you even do anything about this? And right here in this passage, he says, yes, I can. 
because I'm God. I can take care of all of your needs. See, Scripture tells us that God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you better than you know yourself. Scripture also tells us that God is limitless in his power, meaning that there's nothing that he can bump up, that you can bump up against, that he can't deal with. There is no scenario in your life that is beyond redemption. In fact, he has already dealt with your biggest problem, which was your separation from him. That was your biggest problem, and he is in complete control. Guys, you can trust God with tomorrow and today. He knows what you need. Now, we got to talk about that for a second. Look back at verse 30. He says he gives us what we need, not what we want. We spend a lot of time, guys, if you really examine it, Worrying about wants, thinking they are needs. You don't believe me? If you grew up like going to church and stuff, you had a little prayer journal, look, look at things you prayed for when you were 15. You'll thank God he didn't answer a lot of those things. I was going to be with that girl. Oh, Lord, I was asking for that. There's a lot of things that we worry about because we miscategorize wants for needs. And God knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows your truest and greatest needs. See, what God says, don't worry because God cares about you greatly. He knows what you need and he has the power to do what it takes and worry only hurts you. It's a unique promise he gives the followers of Jesus to turn to their heavenly father. Here's the last reason he says don't worry. Christian, really pay attention to this one. Is that when we worry, we live like we don't know God. Look at verse 29 and 30 with me. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all of the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. See, when we set our hearts on these things to bring security in our life, Instead of trusting God, we live like we don't know him. That word seek right there means to dominate your thoughts. When he says don't seek these things like all the world does, he's not saying like don't seek them like you're seeking the missing sock that was eaten in the dryer. He's saying, no, don't let these things dominate your mind and heart. These things are the world allows to dominate their mind and heart because the world seeks security and money, power, relationships. It seeks, it seeks security in what it has because it does not have God. And when a Christian all of a sudden begins to seek security in those things and not God, they find how shaky of a ground it is. Because if money could solve your problems, the richest, most famous people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. But they're not. They're the most stressed out, depressed, guilt-driven people you'll ever meet in your life. Because it doesn't solve your problem. It just creates more. The world finds Security in those things. But we're meant to find our security in Christ as our provider. 
But yet so many times, guys, we can pray prayers like this. Yes, God, I know you're in control. But if I just had blank, or if just blank would happen, I wouldn't have to worry. And you already know that's not true because you prayed that prayer and you've gotten that thing. And all of a sudden, you have more worries than you had the day before. Lord, I mean, I remember praying this when, when Jackson was born. I was like, just healthy baby, healthy mom at the end of our I was so worried about that. I was praying about that. Lord, just give me that. Just give me that. And all of a sudden, I had a baby. And then I first see my son. And it's a longer story. But, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. My worries have just begun. I was like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this Okay, well, Lord, just make sure that we get into it. Well, then there's more problems. Our issue is not our circumstance. Our issue is that what our worry reveals to us is that we have a worship issue. And that the things that we often worry about, we worship. And when Jesus says, don't seek them like the world seeks them because they worship them to bring about security in their life. He says, seek the Lord, seek the kingdom of God, and he'll give you the things that you need. See, the things that we worry about, at least in my life, often point out to the things I worship, that I find security in money, safety, wrinkles. Your worry issue is not your circumstance. It's what you're placing your trust in. It's what you're pressing in. And when we live this way, we live like we don't have a God that cares about us and loves us and knows and is able. That's how the world lives. They live believing there isn't a God that doesn't know them, love them, or care about them. But Christian, you do have a heavenly Father that loves you, cares about you, knows, and is able. Don't live like you don't know God. Live like a faith-filled person that has a gracious and good God. Not on your strength of your faith, but on on his strength of his faithfulness. Because you're going to fail over and over and over again. He says, these are four reasons, and he tells us what to do instead. Look at verse 31. He said, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, instead of worrying about and seeking security in what you can do with your hands, seek security in him. I'll take care of the details. Verse 32, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Can we just stop here for a second? Isn't that an amazing sentence? That God takes pleasure in giving us the kingdom of God. He doesn't begrudgingly say, hey, you get in. He doesn't begrudgingly go, okay, I guess by technicality, you're there. He says, in pleasure, he forgives our sins. It's his pleasure to call you son or daughter. It's his pleasure to invite you in to all of the goodness of God and being in the part of the family of God right now, right in this moment. Not just after you die one day, but right now, God is calling you into a life. And it is his good pleasure.
pleasure to call you in it. Look how he says it again. Fear not, little flock, for if your father's good for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. There are no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see what he's saying right there? He's saying, instead of worry, seek the kingdom of God. He says, seek the kingdom of God because it causes, it can't be taken from you. And Jesus uses money as an example because I think that's something we worship and worry about a lot. And by the way, money is a terrible God. It's a terrible God because you can't take it with you when you die. It doesn't solve your biggest problems. It's hard to hold on to. And the longer you hold on to it, the less it's worth. He says, instead of seeking money, seek the kingdom. That can't be taken from you. Invest in the things that are going to matter 10,000 years from now. We spend a lot of time worrying about what's going to matter 20, 30, 10, 5, 2 years ago. Hey, think about when you start thinking about the things that matter 10,000 years from now, those things don't mean as much anymore. A lot of those things you worry about that you're over-concerned about take care of themselves because they become small in the light of the bigness of 10,000 years. And the vision that God has is greater. Notice at the end, what does he say? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what Jesus is saying right there? He's saying the thing that you treasure in your heart, the things that you treasure, your heart and mind will be about those things. That there's something about, you know, the treasure thing that you pursue most, that you chase after most. There's something about, and it's obviously it's linked to your money too, by the way. You don't think that's true? Start giving us something, you're going to find you care a lot more about that thing. But what you give your time, talent, and treasures to, what you give your life to, you're going to begin to treasure those things in your heart. It has this thing which just binds around you. And the world treasures money, fame, and all this stuff because they pursued it with all they've had. You've pursued it with all that you've had. And as your heart binds to it, you realize it's not the answer you hoped it would be. So Jesus says what? How do we seek the kingdom? He says, treasure the things of God. Think about 10,000 years, not 10 months. And he says, seek the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God means to live as his representative. As a member of his household, a citizen of this community, we're to conduct ourselves in the best interest of home and country, and we must represent him and reflect his righteousness in a world unconcerned about knowing who God. And when that happens, guys, the things that you worry about, that you did worry about, become small and insignificant because you're a person that lives for 10,000 years, not 20. And guess what? The one who's in charge of that 10,000 years is not you, but it's God. And he's already written the end of the story. See, when we know the end of the story today, like we know what's going to happen, we have a whole lot more peace than we don't know. Let me give you an example of this. 
I'm a big LSU football fan, all right? I get way too emotionally tied up in what 18 to 22 year olds do with a football. It's pathetic. Sometimes what I'll do, if LSU has a big game and I'm nervous about it and I don't want to misbehave, I'll wait till the game's over and I'll see the score afterwards and then I'll watch the game. And some people think that's the worst thing, like, what? You're missing all the excitement. I'm like, actually, sometimes that's the most restful, exciting feeling in the entire planet, all right? Because I already know that we won, and I like watching LSU football, so it's, enjo- it's joyful for me to watch the game, all right? So I watch the game, but when our quarterback throws a pick in the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I'm not worried because I already know we won. When, it, when the other team's up by 10 and has the ball going midway through, I'm like, man, it's going to be really exciting to see how we won this game. Can't wait to watch this happen. This is a lot of fun. Guys, the story is already written. God wins, and you reign with him in eternity of heaven. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wring your hands. I had a mentor early in life that would just tell me these simple words. <laughs> I got worked up about something. He'd be like, well, Ernie, is God still on the throne? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, there you go. He's there. And he's going to be there for, for a billion years, for eternity. And no one's taking him off. And you're a son and daughter of the king. And he's promised to take care of you. And he knows what you need. And he's able to deal with your problems. No matter how big you think they are or how long they're going to last. They're not going to last longer than eternity. I promise that. And he cares about you and he values you more than anything he's ever created. That's amazing. So I'm going to close with this. What is the worry that you need to lay before Jesus' feet this morning? And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning because I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to contemplate and to pray and to do business with God. See, in a minute, I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up right now, and they're going to play some music. They're going to play a song. And what I'm asking you to do is in your chair... To just do business with God. Just say, God, what is the thing that I need to lay at your feet? What is the promise that is causing all this anxiety and worry in my life that's not going to last 10,000 years, 100,000 years? That I just need to put down and claim the truth that you do love me, you do care about me, you do know what I need, you do see me. God, what is the truth that I need to hold fast to and the lie I need to lay aside? So what we're going to do, they're going to play a song. Maybe for you, it's a moment where you're going to need to repent before the Lord. That your anxiety and worry is built around of a lack of faith and belief in who God is. Maybe you need to renew a heart of decision to seek the kingdom of God, not be dominated anymore by all these other things that are not going to be around in 10,000 years. Maybe you just need to say the truth over and over again, or maybe you just need to sit in silence and let the word of this song just reign over your heart and mind.
If you're not a Christian in this room, you've been coming for a while, maybe this is a first opportunity for you to speak to Jesus. And the prayer I would ask you to pray would be like, God, if you're this kind of God, show yourself. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've been involved in church your whole life and doing a bunch of random stuff like that's religious, but now you're realizing, you know what? My salvation has been based upon my actions and my performance. God, I'm ready for you to take that worry off my plate. All you have to do is confess the truth. Now, Romans 10, 9, 10 says, confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That God, it's not, it's not what I've done, it's what you've done. Maybe that's the first prayer that you step into being a new son and daughter in the king, in the kingdom of God. Maybe that's your prayer. Whatever it is, as a church, we're gonna take a moment to reflect, to pray. So I'm gonna pray, you're gonna hear one song, and then we're gonna have one song of worship afterwards that we'll stand and sing. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for these men and women. I pray that you would do work in their hearts in this moment. We wanna be people transformed by the mercy of God, not by the guilt of man, not by our own brokenness. In this moment, as we confess, as we repent, as we lay things at your feet, let us remember that we have a God, a heavenly Father, who takes pleasure in giving us the kingdom of God. You want us to have peace. You want us to have joy. You want your people marked by those things. You're offering them. Lord, may we see prayer is taking hold of your willingness. You want to give these gifts to us. Let us receive them. Amen.